Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. And uh, we trust that your Holy Spirit would follow each of us through our lives because of our interest in serving you in this task. And that you'd uh, grant us wisdom where we don't currently have it and would bless us in our devotion. In your Son's name, amen. Okay, tonight, um, we're looking at uh, an addition to the general thrust of Christian child rearing. And uh, I think it's an addition because I had never heard of it before in regard to this. And it came up in our life many years ago, probably 25 years ago, or probably. Um, because for years, uh, we had taught, um, you know, people as they asked, well, what do you do to rear, rear kids? And it was, you know, affection and discipline. And yes, we were for spanking and that was pretty radical. And, and, uh, um, and you know, all that general advice. And people had come through the Moscow community and gotten married and off to birth kids. And uh, they started to write home and ask, my kids aren't obeying. Do you spank? Well, yes. Well, obviously not hard enough. That was sort of my, <laughs> obviously you, you the, the, the right degree of sting. Are you using a ruler? Are you using, you swing through the butt. <laughs> and you know, those sorts of uh, notions. And, and we visited one of these families, and um, we realized that they disciplined more than we did. I mean, those kids had, were non-stop disciplined. And we said, well, Kimmy, that was the problem. Maybe it was just, but it was for real infractions. I mean, it wasn't making stuff up. So we were meditating on it. And this is what came of it. We'll get to a little, you know, the aspects of that uh, of it as we go through. The need for a true adult is the title. All of you are adults, and because you're adults, you can experience connubial bliss. And because you experience connubial bliss, children are born regardless of whether you're ready for it. And we think that because we can vote by a car. And some of us can get uh, rental cars um, and, drink alcohol. and drink alcohol. That uh, what more is adult? But a true adult is is a distinction um, because there's a philosophy of adulthood that has been removed from our society, um, and so now we just have bigger people who have more rights than the little people, and as long as they're bigger, they can make the little ones do what they want by what, whatever means necessary. And I began, to, I began to realize that this was what, as I examined what was in front of us and what we had experienced and what I had seen in my father and, and um, others, that, that there was an absence of the nobility of parenting, the nobility of the parent themselves, the height of a being an adult, the height of being a parent. Now. I have a little definition. I have, let me pop to the second slide here. Um, th this I have on page 12. But the degree to which you successfully governed yourself and circumstance 
defines your dignity and what honors are requisite to it. Okay, that's where you are, by your government of yourself and the circumstance around you, how much dignity do you have? Uh, how much honor is that dignity worth? And we're talking, that is broad, this is everything, but what says honor your father and mother, this is the honor that is requisite to you is the degree you have governed self and circumstance. We are humane to the degree we govern ourselves, civilized to the degree we are governed in an ordered society, and noble to the degree we are governing service to it. Now that's just kind of breaking down the nature of all um, relationships in a society and in selves. Um, you can meditate on it and see if there's anything you like or dislike about it, but we're going to be coming back to that uh, in a little bit. On Also on page uh, uh, 12 is a long quote from C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man. I don't know if you've read it, probably a number of you have. Uh, it's on education, uh, and he's approaching something entirely different than child-rearing. But there is something that when we are looking for parent, children honor your parents as Christians. We, we want to, when they're 15, and going through the worst part of their life, that they would honor their parents, that they would look up to their parents and respect their parents, and not be in the state of rebellion like so many kids. So what's, we, we were grasping at what was missing. As a child got more and more will, as they matured, they tried the parents' power more and more, not less and less. So as this family that disciplined all the time, and you can grab them at two by the back of their Oshkosh and haul them off to you know, perdition and uh, do your will, and, and then by the time they're five, they're giving you a little sass, and by the time they're seven, it's, they've learned some words, and by the time they hit puberty, um, it's actual outright rebellion. There's something, there's something that wasn't communicated, wasn't taught, left off the, the menu of what the parent was doing. It, what they left off was being an adult regarding their children. Now, Lewis here, and I have the key things bolded, and I will just sort of jump. We'd go back and read the context uh, when you have time. I never like putting portions of quotes on things. I, it, it's, you, you miss something. Until quite modern times, all teachers and even all men believed the universe to be such that certain emotional reactions on our part could be either congruous or incongruous to it. Believed, in fact, that objects did not merely receive but could merit our approval or disapproval, our reverence or our contempt. Okay, the, the, the way the world was structured until a certain point in history, that's what they believed. That things, if, if that people or nobility or you, that parents merited honor. That you, you owed it to them. And jumping down to the St. Augustine paragraph, it says, St. Augustine defines virtue as ordo amorous, the ordinate condition of the affections in which every object is accorded that kind of degree of love which is appropriate to it. Aristotle says that the aim of education is to make the pupil like and dislike what he ought. When the age reflective thought comes, 
the pupil who has been thus trained in ordinate affections or just sentiments will easily find the first principles in ethics. But to the corrupt man, they will never be visible at all and he can make no progress in that science. You are not going to make necessarily your child good by everything that you are doing, but you are preparing their fate. You are preparing the way of the Lord, basically, like John the Baptist. Uh, you are putting things in place that now they will understand good and bad, right and wrong, heaven and hell, gospel and unbelief. Now, uh, to make that distinction, he quotes, he gets the reference here, it's from Nicomachean Ethics for Aristotle, and he basically says, true education is this, that you train the kids to love what they should love and hate what they should hate. That was a pretty standard view. Plato held it, others held it. And Augustine adjusted it by saying, and everything should be loved at its ordinate value. And he gave the illustration which says, the miser is not wrong through any fault of the gold. Okay, it's not that gold is unlovely or gold is wrong to have or gold is wrong. The, 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 the problem was the miser is inordinately fond of gold. Now, when you live in a world where ordinate value is not even considered, and because ordinate value has in its suggestion height, depth, up and down. One, on a scale from one to ten, what would you, that's ordinate value. What number do you put on it? Now, what this is, uh, what we're going to here is this this notion that the modern mind, and Lewis is antagonistic to this and this and a number of other essays, um, which some other quotes we will, we will bring up. But the modern mind has been divested by uh, a very uh, lengthy lesson plan after the Enlightenment, John Locke, Rousseau, those yahoos, uh, American Revolution, French Revolution, and Lewis says this all changed after the revolutionary period. Men began to think, insist of themselves as equal to each other. One of the big problems is, is the parents many times believe they are their children's philosophically or cosmologically or in the eyes of God or in the eyes of everything equal to their children. They are just currently bigger and have been given responsibility but in actuality, equal. And when you believe something, it communicates. And it not just communicates from your view, it communicates from every other source of information your kids are getting. You set them off to school, and they will tell you everyone's equal. But they're not. You know, I don't know if it's a big surprise, but they're not. And we'll get to that question a little bit uh, in a couple pages. Um, Christ, in, in Luke 7 here on page 12, he has a situation with the Roman centurion who wants um, to have his servant be healed. And the, and the Roman centurion says this great thing, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. You have the Son of God marveling at you, you know. <coughs> wow, you're really neat. <laughs> I know I'm the Son of God and all, but you're really neat. 
and turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. The centurion's mindset. He understood the authority of God in Christ to heal his servant because he understood authority. He understood what it was to be under authority and he understood what it was to be in authority. But authority, we, 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 we are trapped because as Christians we know we're told to rear our kids, we grasp after a certain, um, it's true in marriage, it's true in uh, family relationships, because we know on one hand the Bible tells us, you know, honor your father and mother and obey your parents and that sort of thing. And we go, yeah, that's, we're trying to be biblical. At the same time, our whole mindset is not like the centurions. We are not people that function in a world with the grace of a hierarchy around us. Now, that is the kind of faith that parents need to take on. They need to be the kind of people that have stared authority in the face, stared the up and down, the ordinate value of all things, and when they look, in a way, we have experiences with uh, mostly, well, I think it was with all the kids at one, one point or another, at the dinner table, usually, because at our dinner table, like at the dinner table I grew up with, it was constant hoorah, sea lawyering, debating. Um, and as a young person gets their own boots on and pulls up their own pants, they start to stand for their own at dinner. And they see the sarcasm and they see the good fun and they say something they ought not say. Something a little less than honorable to their father. And, uh, and I, 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 I said it a number of times, I said, you know, there would be a still moment and then I would just say, I don't think you ought to speak to your father that way. <laughs> You know, they'd just be, oh, I don't know what came over me. I, you know, they, they knew. They knew. They, they, they were just growing up. They were pushing the envelope, finding out what they could get away with, how manly could they be, and they overstepped. But you want to have a situation where your position is a leverage, where height intimidates them. Now, we know, on the other hand, that Christian ethics. Christian ethics. I have that passage on page 13 um, out of Mark. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And if you grab that saying and say, this is the ethic that covers all. One, you wouldn't ever want to apply it to the military. You wouldn't want to apply it to civil rule. You wouldn't want to apply it to all sorts of things. But, but some radical Christians may. They, they come, become like the Anabaptists and become absolute pacifists and don't do anything and won't pick up any kind of uh, police action. Um, they are to always be servants. So what does, you know, you hear you got the centurion on one side, I know what authority is, I'm a Roman soldier, thank you very much. That's great faith. Over here, 
you know, the Gentiles function this way, lording power over others, and you're supposed to be a servant of all. He even gives it in Mark 9, the passage right before this, he does it in terms, because they were, uh, the disciples, one of those great moments where the disciples were acting like complete uh, boobs and uh, dis- discussing who was the greatest of the disciples. And, uh, and verse 35, is, he said, he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, anyone who would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, this is what we're, we're about here, right? I took a child to illustrate that and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. It sounds like a banner over the most coddling, spoiling the kid, everything for the child. This would be the life passage. Now, what do we do? I mean, how do we... How do we put this together? Because it tells us that we're responsible for our children. It tells us we should raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It tells us um, that we should, uh, we'll get to this in the discipline thing next week, whack them with a stick to make them do the right thing. Beat them with a rod, he will not die. So I'm a little confused. What about my, you know, Jesus is the same. Who quoted that last night? Uh, he's always the same God. So we have to do some. Have to do some thinking now. Part of the thinking is what. It shall not be so among you. Among you. It can afford to not be so. In the church. In the body, this is an argument strongly against diocesan or authority-driven churches. Because the authorities in a church are to be servants of all. Jesus Christ, the passage it says, uh, oh, I don't have it here on this page, but where he's washing the disciples' feet, and he says, yes, I am your master and Lord. I am your master and Lord. And if I do this, how much more should you do it to each other? It's a to-each-other service of Christianity. Now, why would I be making breaking out the Christian relationship away from the civil one? or the Because I'm breaking it apart from the familial one, too. Your family is not the church. It is probably made up of more non-Christians than Christians. Okay? Depends on how prolific you are. So you got a bunch of little reprobates waiting to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you and your wife, the believers. You're not the church. This is not Christianity. It's called a family. It's also true that a marriage exists, not because of Christianity. You can have a Christian spouse and a non-Christian spouse. It's still marriage. It still has to function. A society may claim to be a Christian society, but it won't be. It has a different task. Now, where we have the freedom where we have the freedom is because our, our common, uh, the categories, one are distinct, but why do I need a Lord among the Gentiles? Why does a slave need a master? Why does a child need a parent? But we can serve each other in the body of Christ 
so freely and so completely. Because everybody in the body of Christ has been wonderfully changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They have been governed. They have been given everything needful for life and godliness. Now, they, they still make mistakes. There's minimal government in the church. But you don't see much, you might say, power handed to church leaders. You don't need a lot of power. You're not fixing a really broken problem. A, a pastor, when it says in Hebrews, I believe, uh, the elders among you, not as what, uh, incur- no, this is Peter. Well, somewhere. Um, uh, the elders among you, not to be domineering over the flock, but setting an example. In the Christian life, exemplary life is the leadership, like Christ was an example, and pastors to be example, not domineering, because government, lording it over, is not the path Christians take. Well, then why, why not apply that to the family or the state? Well, because your kids are stupid. They're not just unbelievers. They're dumb. They're immature. They would put both their fingers in a socket. They'd put their tongue in the socket. They, they will jump off a very high thing without having realized 32 feet per second squared. And uh, you're there to save their life. You're there to teach them. Now, this is a, and with a society, it never gets fixed. There is always a criminal element. People violating the, the, the rights and property of others, and a government has to be there all the time because it never gets fixed. Remember how I said last night that your job as a parent comes to an end because what you do fixes that person. What you do resolves, you bring to pass in them the maturity as a Christian and as a human being that they need to have. Now, uh, you have Can I give just an example of of a parent dealing with a child where you're serving the child, but you're making the child understand that you are their better, Um, would be giving them a bath uh, and say you've got a... 15-month-old, 18-month-old kid, and they think it's fun to stand up in the bathtub, and you know that they could slip and fall. Um, so you make sure that you're bathing them. My goodness, what kind of a servant are you? You're taking care of their entire bodily cleaning. Um, so in that way, you're serving them, but if you're wise and if you want them to learn wisdom, you won't allow them to be standing up and walking around in the bathtub. And so you can at the same time be whacking their little bottoms and saying, no, you sit down. And uh, they learn at the same time to respect you while you're serving their little body. Right, and that gives a good example. There are degrees, in each of these categories, there are degrees that the Lord of the situation needs to serve and who he's serving in it. And, um, and degrees of help that the circumstance gives them. Um, you know, a husband and a wife, they are pretty close in situation, age and circumstance and education and the like, and, and it's king and grand vizier. It's not king and serf. Uh, but with the kids, it's king and serf. But you still got to kneel down by the bathtub 
and bathe their whole body. Not because they have commanded you to do so. They don't want to be there. But because um, that is your service to them, like Christ washing the feet of the servants. So there's a combination. You have to break up the world into categories and say, what is the need of government? And if I'm ruling unbelievers, if I'm running a prison, if I'm running a family, if I'm running the body of Christ, what are the demands of government that are needed? And Christ is telling me on one hand, and it's applicable in the other things. We'll see a little bit how, how, the, how the service of the Lord is applicable at these others. But they're in differing degrees because there are differing degrees of need. Um, there are people who um, want to be first. They like, they like hearing talks about parents, how they're in charge. Or they like hearing talks, husbands like hearing talks about how they're in charge. They like to think of the, and everybody in the political realm thinks they should be in charge. They like to be first. Um, and that's mostly because we yearn for that Gentile thing of just being in charge of other people. We like being jerks. Um, and it's a um, different kind of first when you think of it being noble. When the task is, if I'm in governing service to the society, I'm a noble. I'm not just on top. I'm not just in charge. I'm of governing service to it. And that changes a king to a noble. A noble king, rather than... Um, now, <clears throat> Lewis has a very... Uh, here on this Preface to Paradise Lost quote up in the upper corner. He's discussing, this is a great chapter, if you have a copy of the book, read the chapter on hierarchy. This comes out of that, I think it's the first page. And it's a, uh, well maybe, maybe not, a little bit further in. This thought is not peculiar to Milton. It belongs to the ancient Orthodox tradition of European ethics from Aristotle to Johnson himself. Johnson, Samuel Johnson, time of, yeah, late 1700s, the time of the revolutions. And a failure to understand it entails a false criticism not only of Paradise Lost, but of nearly all literature before the revolutionary period. I wonder when the Bible was written. Um, it may be called the hierarchical conception. According to this conception, degrees of value are objectively present in the universe. Everything except God has some natural superior, and everything except unformed matter has some natural inferior. The goodness, happiness, and dignity of every being consists in obeying its natural superior and ruling its natural inferiors. When it fails in either part of this twofold task, we have disease or monstrosity in the scheme of things until the peccant being is either destroyed or corrected. One or the other it will certainly be, for by stepping out of its place in the system, whether it step up like a rebellious angel or down like an luxurious husband, it has made the very nature of things its enemy. It cannot succeed. So Lewis's warning to you, not only is the universe filled with the need to have ordinate value and things actually merit it, it's not just a different philosophy, but the creation merits this to different degrees, but that our existence of sentience all the way up from God down, God down to unformed matter, has a place that has a dignity that deserves certain honor and has certain tasks laid to it. And if I violate it, that's where things go to Hades in a handbasket. 
And you will, if you do not have this adult, true adult worked out, not just counting on the fact that you've lived 30 years, but that you, you, that you have an adult mind, um, that is going to change whether your family and your kids come out of this diseased or monstrous, or because um, it's not going to succeed. Now, the, the idea of Christ um, you know, holding up his own mastery and lordship on one side and his service on the other, or complimenting the centurion for his understanding of those things, we, we look at how Christ, he's not just someone who wants to be first because it's good for me to be first. And Lord Acton's rule, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We, um, we suspect anybody who is being lifted up. That's why I think we like celebrities. Because it's entertaining to watch them rise and fall. It's, um, it's a... Uh, um, there's water. Um, there's, um, uh, there's really no obligation to do what Brad Pitt tells us. We just can watch their life on all the magazine covers, enjoy having people famous, but not noble. Famous, as Lewis talks about in another place, we like leadership, we don't like rulers. We want one of our equals to be out there in front, taking us places, progressing into the future, not someone in charge of us. Um, but Christ, on the other hand, is Lord. I think that's on, on the All Souls crest, which no one voted on. I just made it. It's not a democracy. It says, Jesus Dominus Est. Jesus is Lord. Whoever confesses Jesus is Lord, whoever doesn't confess Jesus is Lord, but people don't even know what a Lord is in this society. They don't, it's just a Bible term for importance or God. And we don't know. But Christ's lordship, as he shows, um, I, I, like, I like the phrase, lords are needed. But you shouldn't need to be a lord. You know, there's that, the emotional thing I really need to be in charge of. It was a movie I saw once that reminded me of Larry Lucas. But there was a bad guy who ends up cutting off the heads of all of his competitors for the gang and dumps them in front of everybody else and says, I really like to be in charge. Mm -hmm. And that's what, and Larry always used to say that, I really like to be in charge. <laughs> um, but he wasn't a criminal. The, the idea that Lordship is serving. We look at it in Romans 13. People struggle with the passes because they don't want to obey the speed limit, and so they, they try to avoid Romans 13 whenever they can. Uh, but it actually says something very clearly. All authority has been given by God, and those who resist it resist not man, but God. There, there is more to this hierarchical notion one, it permeates the Bible, and if you don't see it, like Lewis said, you not just won't see it in Paradise Lost, you will not see it anywhere in the works that are just re replete with it, completely filled with uh, references that you don't understand because you don't understand the way they viewed their universe. Not that they were good, but they didn't have this absence. And you're going to see why this absence causes 
turmoil that you don't know you're going to get. Again, you won't know you're going to get it until puberty. That's when the monstrosity or the disease kicks in. But it tells us part of this because when we, we, we have this antagonism to lordship or antagonism to a hierarchy because down through the ages the Gentiles have, our Lord acted rule has been borne out. It's a truism. But if, you, if absolute power corrupts absolutely, which we like to say, is God corrupt? Well, no, and he has absolute power. Why is he not corrupt? Because he loves. Power with love, not power with jerkiness. And too often, when you tell parents that they should be in charge, be telling with their kids what to do, you get some martinet going home and start telling his kids what to do. He's more interested in expressing his power than he is in loving his children with power. Which says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. And that's almost instantaneously what happens when you offer somebody, and Graham has seen this in the military, others have probably seen it in, in work situations where somebody gets their stripes and they all suddenly become, you know, um, Fidel Castro. It, it's amazing. They, 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 they suddenly can't handle the power. And we, we start to then say, okay, people shouldn't have power. Everything should be voted on. Everything should be a democracy. But here it suggests, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. There's an assumption in that that there's a highly, if that's a word. The highly should show, associate with the lowly. And because they're up, they shouldn't be conceited, and they shouldn't be haughty in their upness. And then in the John 13 passage, it's the um, washing, their, washing their feet. Now, the high and the low, if it exists, now you've got to start, start thinking, is the world, and Lewis argues this, if you want the complete history and argument of this, it's in his work, The Discarded Image. And a tremendous book, uh, it's, it's a bit uh, specific, it's uh, an academic work on the history of this viewpoint uh, down through antiquity and into the Middle Ages. And um, it's very beneficial, but it's only for some type of people. Um, but whatever the case, you're looking at everything, everything that we can do can have a temptation to it. Everything, temptation to sin is sure to come. And so if you're given the power of husbandry, you're given the power of parenting, you're given, you're made king suddenly, there's real temptations in that. You could really sin badly. Parents can be jerks, and kings can be idiots. But you will never have the benefit of a king if you don't have kings. You will never have the benefit of parents rearing you like an adult should, a mature agent, if you say, well, we got to avoid the temptation, so let's not have adults. Let's, let's all act like we're just sort of the older kid from college who's showing their younger friends in high school what it's like to live and, and uh, becoming BFFs, which I believe you young people talk like these days. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you know, 
Now, uh, it's either a tool or it's a temptation. This, this is the idea. This is a tool that if you don't use it, it will go bad. If you don't have it, it will go bad. Now, it may be to a little degree, without even you think about it, you might be an exception to what the modern state of the culture is, and you may have a certain hairy thunderer quality to your voice as a father or a certain expectation as a mom that it's going to be the way I said, you know, that momness, that you convey enough real adultness that your kids grow up respecting you. It can happen. But if you want to be conscious about what you're doing, and maybe perhaps improving the nature of the beast, that you realize what God has handed you and delegated to you in this height of parenting, and you say, this is the position from which I love, and I condescend to love, like Christ condescended to be with us. He was God incarnate. He condescended. He didn't go, ah, oh, we're all just really the same. Come on, guys. We're all just really the same. No, I am your Lord and I am your Master. When you've done all that I have told you, you just say, we are, your un we are unworthy servants. That's, what you That's when you're done. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things that I say? You can go through, start going through the scriptures. Read that chapter in Preface to Paradise Lost on Hierarchy. Then go back and read your New Testament. And begin to realize how much of our lives and all the suggestions ride on us having a healthy view of what it is to be up and down. We're not just different. It's not side to side. It's not horizontal in this world. It's vertical. Now, the issue of humility comes up. And I have this little thing. It's not about humility is not down about self. You know, ah, you know really nothing. I, I really can't draw cartoons that well. Well, thank you, thank you, but it's really not. Nothing, nothing. Um, all praise to Jesus on that. Um, that's not humility. Everyone knows it. Um, it's really being up about others. You know, you, you're, not, you're not putting yourself forward. You're showing honor. It says outdo one another in showing honor. Um, so what the question is, that sometimes will say, Evan, what, what if I took that advice like I took the advice of Christ about, you know, being the servant of all and I started coddling my children? Um, yeah, you watch out for single truisms becoming your overarching, always applicable phrasing. When it's um, um, making people. Oh, it went away. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> Did I miss something? Do I do something? Let's uh, let's let's go here. Let's go to the next quote, just so it has something to do. I think that's from uh, Aeschylus or Euripides. I'm not sure, um, and maybe Juvenal. But those whom the gods would destroy, they first drive mad. So what did I thought we were here about childbearing? Um, what does that have to do with anything? You don't, when you say I am humble. Your humility is to your lords. You you have overlords. You have those. You have things that you bow to. 
and you have to willingly bow to it. Because that centurion, I have people set over me, and I have others set under me. Now, otherwise, when you start devoting yourself to those that you are not under, your children, you're not under them, you start concentrating on building their esteem. They don't have a problem with esteem. Okay? They are selfish little sinners. They think the world of themselves. If they're dep- but they're depressed, that's because they think so much about themselves. And they don't like the way things are going for the person they love the most in this world, themselves. They become the opposite of humble. One of the things recently, as we were talking months ago about doing this, Leslie and I were trying to figure out, this is probably one of the most key elements of how you can have the Christian, affectionate, disciplined home and still have kids turn away from the Lord. Because of this. Because you taught them everything about Jesus. You loved them. And you spanked them. And you showed a personal devotion, but you never taught them humility. Because all sin, folks, all sin, is the choice between do I obey the living God or do I obey me? What I want. And you can see it in the kids start to shape up. The me do it. Me do it, Father. You know, They want to do it their way. They want to take on, I want to paint my room the color I wanted. Black. (laughs) Honest, Mom. I really like it. Now, you've got to figure out a way. Say, if you listen to this talk and you go, um, I don't think you're right. It's okay, fine. But come up with some means. If humility is good, if you should be humble and they should take on that image, where are they going to learn it? How are they going to learn it? No, this is not a suggestion like the Bill Gothards of this world, you know, breaking the child's will. You know, um, we're not in, in it for breaking the child's will. Laughing at them, yeah. Um, but what happens is, and this is, I have these three comments, they become up on self and down on others. You start to see that in them. It's who cares what that kid wants that toy? I want that toy. And they, they're, um, uh, they're on the path. I was, I was broke it down. A, uh, I think I might still have it in my notebook. The, the notebook of darkness. Ah, yes. <laughs> there are strange. Uh, I, I, I broke down, um, I broke down uh, all of human experience in terms of how much self and how much other. You have self and the other. And the saint is completely other and not self at all. I'm not talking about the good saint. That's a little bit extreme because God doesn't want you to be all other and no self. So that you, you peg the meter a bit too far. The centurion I actually had down below him because he understood what his self was and he understood his duty to the other. Then you had some others all the way down through the polite and the citizen and the selfish. And the last one at the bottom is the sociopath. Mm 
who is all self and can't even conceive of other. I mean, they, they don't even know other have any feelings. They don't care if anybody has anything in themselves that they value. They just value yourself. And you stop and you say, if I start to give myself to my kids' esteem, when they naturally their natural sin urge is built on that, you are training them to be about themselves entirely. A few years ago, there was a uh, those sweet sixteen parties. Sweet, just these awful, 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 awful human beings, if you could call them that. And you you see them now with the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You go, could I get a gun? and just shoot these people, this would be helpful to the society. Um, completely self-interested. And the only thing is they don't have the wits about them to become murderers. <laughs> They're sociopaths, but they don't have any you know, vested interest in killing somebody. Now, this is why you have to step in and not take a task of, I need to be humble as a parent. Yes, because you're teaching humility to the child. So how did, where are the others that you submit yourselves to? Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. He said, I don't say anything except what the Father tells me to say. He demonstrated his submission. It's an odd verse in the Old Testament where it calls Moses the meekest of all men. Moses. You read the law of Moses and you go, this isn't a meek guy. But he was submissive to God. So you have to be humble in yourself and an example of this submission. If you remember, this is all about image. Uh, this is all about, um, and, and the, in case you missed why this is up there, if you want your child destroyed, give them the keys to madness. And the keys to madness is feeling that the world has to run their way. And believe me, it won't. Nothing is more destructive, causing fights at school, fights with friends, fights in their marriages, fights everywhere, because they want to spend everything on their own passions. Whence come fight, wars and fightings among you? Is it not your passions that wage war in your members? That's... And, and, and if you give them that tool, you will have kids that you won't even recognize as human beings because of the, the, the anger and the madness and the bitterness. And this not working for them. It doesn't work. You can't have it your way. And the, the hierarch realizes, I'm responsible for this portion right over here, these kids, this yard, this is it. And I'm responsible too, my God, my king, my employer, People that are above me. I understand this. And if you live that, the husband to God, and to the, his employer, and to the state, and not be the kind of person that is always tearing down his overlords, what do you expect you're going to teach your kid if you're always tearing down your overlords? Unable to submit when it's not something you like. You just teach them, well, when you don't like something, you don't submit to it. A wife has a good example with her husband. You want your kids? I always, I've told a number of married women this over the years. Maybe I told you. Um, do you want your kids? What kind of obedience do you want out of your kids? Joyful, instant. Yes, mother. I would be happy to. 
you know, you say little Stepford kid, you know, just not, that's what you really want. Somebody who really won't get in your way. Mother, put your feet up. I'll get your book and I'll make you some tea. <laughs> say, I've just died and gone to heaven. My child is wonderful. Where, oh, where did they learn this? Oh, probably from the way you treated your husband. I'm sure that you said, honey, here's a beer. I know you have a hard day. Let me rub those feet. <laughs> we have examples. Uh, I, I can't stress enough how important humility and the humility that comes from living in a world that has up and down in it, because that's the why humility is needful, because there are better people than you and people that are a lot as good as you, and you are responsible as a noble <coughs> to love those up and down and to be responsible for those up and down. So you've got to have things in place that says, do I really have the integrity to expect this out of my children when I don't expect it out of myself? That goes back to what we talked about part of yesterday. Now, One thing that needs to be along with this, when I say that we are humble, we're humble in front of them, and we serve them out of love, like Leslie talked about the bath. We serve them at our need. We, we go through real stinky um, times with children. That I look at people who walk around our neighborhood, I don't know if any of you have dogs and you take them for walks, and I don't know if you carry a little plastic bag, you are so whipped. Okay? Just saying you follow a dog around with a plastic bag to pick up its poo. <laughs> now, I'm, the wonderful thing about children is at a certain point, about three or four, they get potty trained, you're done. Dog is never trained. It's going to still poo in some people's yard. And you're a good citizen, so you pick it up. It's just wrong. It's just peasant-like. Make sure to walk by here. Yeah, I don't mind. I'll be on my porch watching. Bring Not the bag, please. Yeah. Yeah. No, bring the bag. Oh, you're just <laughs> Um, the idea that a Lord serves at the Lord's command. The Lord either has his own command that he serves his dependence by the, on the basis of his own decision or the decisions of his delegating lords over him. If God told you to do this, you do it because your God told you to do it for your children. You are serving down line, delegated authority. Um, it is something, as I said before, that is a vanishing thing. And this is how you know why it's still needed in civil realms, still needed in employment realms, still needed in the military, still needed in other places, is because it fits a need. If the need does not go away, you must continue to govern. If your child is uh, born without the capabilities to take care of themselves, for the rest of their lives, you care for them. Okay? Not with a hit 18, I'm sorry, you know, you have Down syndrome, but out you go. Uh, you know, because you, you say the, the need's still there. It's not like they're big and they don't. So it's evidence, you're, you're proving the need for a government by releasing your children when they don't need to be governed anymore. When you don't need to be, um, um, and that's a humility too. That, that shows that you're ready to have them pick up the task of their task. You would do it at the diaper changing time. I remember the last kid leaving diapers. It was like heaven. 
It's just like, now it's just getting him to leave the house. <laughs> but all of those moments are heavenly moments. You say, do I want to clean? I'm going to still change your diaper. I know you're 17, but I still want to change your diaper. <laughs> no, you say, you've got this worked out. Um, I won't deal with it. <laughs> Paul seems to talk about it when he, he had a few things in Corinthians. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even yet you were not ready. The child illustration is you're not where you need to be. The child is someone who cannot do things as well as an adult. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, this is not his point, but it's the illustration. He uses this to illustrate his point regarding spiritual things, that the limitations of the child are replaced by the achievements of the man. So maturity ends up um, moving government inside the South. Now, this is where you need to be. Now, I have a... Um, small children love me. And pets. I can't stand either. <laughs> but they love me. Ransom, when he gets old enough to realize the world around him, he will love me. <laughs> I will not care a whit for Ransom. And I think they sense that. It's like fear. They sense fear. Uh, they sense uh, lack of concern. Um, but what's interesting to me, interesting to me as parents who are afraid of rebellious kids, so they try to coddle them or buy them off or whatever it is with their... Uh, with their giving to their kids. They don't want to lay down the law. They don't want to be in charge. They don't want to uh, 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 pick a fight. They don't realize that when you're not a jerk about authority, but it's clear to the child that you are a loving authority, they'll take, they'll take just about anything. I have here on the side, the idiots it's called. Um, this was I, just from a summer Bible studies I used to have here for high school kids, junior high and high school kids. And um, I don't like them either. And I have no reason, look at me, I have nothing that would appeal to a kid in the midst of puberty. And then I would announce it on flyers with Bible study topics, how despicable are the youth? Let me count the ways. What is wrong with boys besides the obvious retardation? What is wrong with girls besides being absolutely clueless? You aren't very bright. We can fix that. You aren't ready for love. Let's be patient, shall we? God has problems with you. No, not your parents, you. Now, that's what I would put on the flyer. Every year, different ones, all of them, every single one of them abusive. <laughs> Saying, you're nobody. I, I empty my nostrils in your general direction. <laughs> your father was a hamster and your mother smelt of elderberry. Something along those lines. <laughs> but um, what was the difference? I was not a crotchety old man on my porch shaking my fist at them as they rode by on their bikes yelling obscenities at them. I was there to serve them. I'd get 30 kids. Not from our church. Come for a summer Bible study. Maybe it might have been the lunch, too. Free lunch. 
But they liked it. They sat there quietly and listened for an hour to a Bible study on the subject of what an idiot they were. Now, this you know, gives me, a, a, you might say, some um, ammunition or some consciousness that superiority that loves, superiority that reaches out, condescends, and says, here, yeah, you're an idiot, come on. We'll, we'll, we'll work our way through this. We all know men that have got guys who have men that have been around us that, that jollied us along in that kind of abusive helpfulness. And we respected them because they were setting up the higher and the lower. And they were setting up the higher and the lower not in the way that says, I'm going to be a jerk because I'm better than you. I'm going to be haughty because I'm better than you. I'm going to be arrogant. I'm conceited. I'm not going to even associate with you. They start to associate and they start to give to you and serve you. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a... What a and I wasn't swearing there. It sounded like I was. And Jesus Christ. I, um, but Jesus Christ... God infinite coming to earth and loving with all that information and everything they did just the way they walked probably just he could correct everything he could fix it magically stand up straight John stand up straight I'll make you stand up straight <laughs> use the power but we, we know we have an example in that we are the image of what you you are the image of what you expect them to rise to. Your kids are going to have kids someday. You're going to be a grandparent. And you're going to want to see your kids having that kind of relationship with their dad, with their kids. The kind that says, yeah, he's, the parents are in charge and the kids love them. I've seen the difference between kids that were abused at the dinner table under the guise of a hidey hole of sarcasm. And really, it was just mean. They weren't loving. They weren't there to serve the kid. They were, you know, they were just feeling the challenge of the kid. I wanted to knock the kid down a few notches because they thought, well, I've got to have that distance, so I've got to put them in their place. Not, I'm trying to bring them up. I'm trying to exchange maturity to them. Now, what we are dealing with here, what we're communicating here at the bottom of page 14 is that the child is incompletely human and the child will be completely human one day that this is not a different but a better condition that they're turning into so the current adults are better than they now the word better I have been corrected by countless friendly people who said you know Evan you probably shouldn't say better which just proves Lewis's point. You've all been emasculated. Because we have betters. They are better. So what, what are they better than us? I mean, people aren't better than you. Again, you're buying John Locke. And John Locke is not... Uh, oh, it went away. John Locke is not the scriptures. Oh, this is the thing that happens. Um, now... We'll get to that, some quotes from Lewis in a, in a little bit. But better is defined, is the degree of rule, and the efficient extension of your will. That's what makes you better than another. That's what makes you better than an animal. Animals 
could make a nest, maybe. But even a homeless guy can pack his cart full of stuff, carry it around, set up a new camp, live in a box. Far better than that. The worst of humanity. Porpoises never build a hospital. But the smartest of every animal, the porpoise or the pig. The pigs wallow in mud. We build hospitals, sterile hospitals. Um, we invent things. Man is, has degrees of greatness by the degree of rule and the extension of, the efficient extension of their will. That's what makes you, that's why when you say, Alexander, who Alexander? Alexander the Great. Why is he Alexander the Great? Because Alexander the Great went and took everybody else's stuff with about 30,000 men and um, conquered the world. And you? Well, I haven't. I, I, he was dead by the time he was my age, and I've got a corner lot in Moscow, Idaho. That's, he's better than I am. You say, well, with God. Ah, okay, he was a non-believer before Christ and all sorts of bad things, but he was better than I was. He had higher rule. Kings are better than you. They have more rule. That's what makes them better. And that's what makes you as a parent better than the kid. You're in charge. And the extension of your rule, the ability to police and reward, all those things make you better. And how efficiently do you extend your will? Now, as Christian parents, you want to efficiently and in a godly way extend your will. Well, let's see where we're going with the next, next slide here. Uh, what's that say? We use a fictional equality to correct Lord Acton's rule. But when perceived equals need to be ruled, it takes more force and appears tyrannical. This is the problem Christian parents get into. They are told they're supposed to be in charge of their kids, and they try to make them do the right thing or get them to, to a more pronounced right. Maybe pagan parents will, will go, oh, you know, whatever they turn out to be, if they're homosexuals, it's okay. If they're Buddhists, it's okay. You know, really, they've got to find themselves. They're, just, they're basically saying, I don't want to deal with this. And they think they're just being very, very liberated. Now, with Lord Acton's rule, that's the power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because we're afraid of that, and people like John Locke were concerned with it, and um, um, we have a pretend fictional equality. Even in the philosophy of our nation, in its founding, we know it's fictional. Okay? Now, some places endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights. They weren't. But the, the founding documents, again, were post-enlightenment documents. They weren't Bible documents. Now, I, I have this, this problem here. We create a fictional equality because it's good and beneficial to have. When you go into a court of law, it is good to have a pretend equality because people are bad. Okay? People are evil. And unless you have a forced fictional equality, I know this guy was caught with, you know, two tons of crack wrapped around his neck. <laughs> but he is presumed innocent. We presume him innocent. We presume him innocent, and we give him the equal treatment, a jury of his peers, 12 good men, 
We like to have this because it keeps bad men from doing bad things in the system. Now that's Lewis's argument here out of this membership essay, very short portion of it here, but I recommend this essay as well because Lewis, I know you admire him, I admire him as I do no other. And some of the things that people never read are some of the best. And this is a tremendous essay because it talks about the nature of our union, the nature of membership. It's true in marriage, it's true in the church. And he goes along with this and says, uh, uh, um, in the first bolded thing, I am going to venture to say that artificial equality is necessary in the life of the state, but that in the church we strip off this disguise, we recover our real inequalities, and are thereby refreshed and quickened. Okay? Now, I want you to read the context when you have some time, but jumping down to the next uh, bold thing. I do not believe that God created an egalitarian world. I believe the authority of parent over child, husband over wife, learned over simple, to have been as much a part of the original plan as the authority of man over beast. Okay, that's Lewis's position. We're not equal. The authority of the father and husband has been rightly abolished on the legal plane, not because this authority is in itself bad. On contrary, it is, I hold, divine in origin, but because fathers and husbands are bad. So when it hits the law courts, we have a fake equality. We have a fictional equality. Don't believe because they tell you that fiction when they arrested you with the crack wrapped around your neck that you really are the equal to the, to the doctor down the street who prescribes meds. You are not his equal. He is not a criminal. You are a criminal. He says down at the bottom, that last bit, but the function of equality is purely protective. It is medicine, not food. By treating human persons in judicious defiance of the observed facts as if they were all the same kind of thing, we avoid innumerable evils. But it is not on this that we are made to live. It is idle to say that men are of equal value. If value is taken in a worldly sense, if we mean that all men are equally useful or beautiful or good or entertaining, then it is nonsense. If it means that all are of equal value as immortal souls, then I think it conceals a dangerous error. The infinite value of each human soul is not a Christian doctrine. Go home and sleep on that one. Because all the time, even though you believe you should be in charge of your kids, and the state shouldn't be, and the public schools shouldn't be, or whatever it is, you're still influenced by these notions. You still might think that on the level of the soul, you're all equal. What did Lewis mean? I encourage you to find out. This is a, uh, what is missing from the Christian affectionate and disciplining home is the wisdom of position, the reality of height. Now, <clears throat> this is where it becomes you run into some practical, practical problems, or, or or things that this getting this right will resolve in you. And I have this quote again from Preface to Paradise Lost. 
and I'm going to read all of it because it's brilliant. The greatest statement of the hierarchical conception in its double reference to civil and cosmic life is perhaps the speech of Ulysses in Shakespeare's Troilus. Its special importance lies in its clear statement of the alternative to hierarchy. If you take degree away, each thing meets in mere repugnancy. That means fighting. Strength will be lord. Everything will include itself in power. In those words, in other words, the modern idea that we can choose between hierarchy and equality for Shakespeare's Ulysses is for Shakespeare's Ulysses mere moonshine. The real alternative is tyranny. If you will not have authority, you will find yourself obeying brute force. And you can start seeing as kids are growing up thinking they're their parents equal, and they only as they get to 16 and they find out they're bigger than their mom and almost the same size as their father. It is no longer the power, and you start having fist fights. You can really have it turn into fist fights at that point. Someone goes to the morgue. Now, why does that happen? Now, once, the next paragraph, now, if once the conception of hierarchy is fully grasped, we see that order can be destroyed in two ways. By ruling or obeying natural equals, that is, by tyranny or servility, by failing to obey a natural superior or to rule a natural inferior, that is, by rebellion or remissness. And these, whether they are monstrosities of equal guilt or no, are equally monstrosities. Now, what we have with parents who are concerned, and they see this trajectory, and oddly enough, they, they have a disciplined, existent life, and the kid's getting older, then things start getting buttons, start getting pushed, desires start getting expressed, the parents start to lock down, have to lock down, and they wonder why we're having to lock down now. You shouldn't, your, the trajectory of your life shouldn't be, you know, discipline a little bit more, and then they have these other urges, more discipline and more discipline, until finally, you know, we're taking away the car keys and we're, we're, we're banning them from the internet and we're doing all sorts of things. Because if you don't do it right, they will not obey you or model you or accept your maturity as to be exchanged to them. And you will see that not happening and you will think, I need to apply more force. Because it's the only thing you know. Because you think that it was power you know, once degree is taken away, everything meets in mere repugnancy. Everything will include itself in power. That's all you do have. But when you have the reverence, when you have the reverence of your children because they revere their betters, even if they don't have to obey you anymore because they're adults and off in their own life, they will still revere you. They will still hold you up. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, you said that they're not your equals. That's true. They're not. But they think they are. Because we encourage them to think they are. And the, the older they get, the more equal they become. So anytime we have this... Uh, there was another quote. I'm gesturing at the wrong picture. Um, I have to become tyrannical because in their minds, tyrannical. And if I become tyrannical, it's because they think of me as an equal. It's just a perception. Your, your God made you better than they. 
But you didn't treat it that way and communicated that you didn't believe in that and that before God everybody was equal. So when you tried to rule, you say, hold it, the rule of equals has to be tyrannical. That's what happens. There's your four choices, tyranny, servility, rebellion, or remissness. So if they think you of you the equal, they will think your actions tyrannical and that will justify their rebellion because if you're a tyrant, and we taught them this in civics, that it's okay to overthrow tyrants. Sic semper tyrannus, right? Shot Lincoln. Would have shot the king if we had him in, you know, on the field of battle. We would have done all sorts of bad things. And we have designed a nation based on these philosophies where we lived them out and just a few weeks ago shot fireworks into the air to celebrate what we had done. And then we go, why is my kid? One, think I'm a tyrant. Well, he thinks you're an equal and you're trying to rule him. And now he thinks he could just say, up yours, old man. Because youth said that was noble and heroic for John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and all the rest. Noble and heroic. God bless them each and every one. So, philosophy about, you might say, the family politic, the nature of the cosmos, um, is a crucial thing for you to grasp, a crucial thing for you to sit up and take notice of. Now, once you notice it, here's a, here's a danger. God has given you the position you are under his authority. But people, they hear something at a family uh, advice session and they, and they go, okay, I'll, I'll go home and pretend to be that. Pretentiousness is not good. They will spot it. It'll even make you look more like you're the equal just pretending to be the bossy one or pretending to be the hairy, the hairy thunderer and the, the cosmic father. Um, you have to agree with this. Don't pretend to be it. You can't be it until you agree with it. You say, is this, is this the way the universe really is? Because this is the universe the kids should be raised in if the universe really is this way. And this is the thing that they learn very early on to welcome the loving putting them in their place. That's why I said, you know, with the high school kids or even the small children, I give them, I give them grief, nonstop grief. And I try to love them. I want them to always, because everybody else, what does everybody else do? They, they hire a youth pastor who can relate to the youth and act just as big an idiot as they are and then have a devotion at the end. That's the idea. Let's all do something wild and crazy and then I'll say something about Jesus at the end. Now the kids have a good time, they like having a party, they like being unrestrained. But they like it more because they know they're idiots. They know that. Down at their heart of heart, they lie in their bed at night. You know, only the completely clueless prima donna who's, you know, the debutante thinks she's all that. But the rest of them, they got insecurities. They, they like running into an adult that knows they're not anything of importance. And as a friendly, condescending, beneficial relationship. I always give the illustration of you know it doesn't hurt the great to condescend 
Matter of fact, those that love that great person feel wonderfully blessed by the condescension. You know, when Davis touched Sheryl Crow's pant leg at a concert. <laughs> you know, because it was acknowledged fame, acknowledged servitude, <laughs> slight condescension. Now what if your child, father, oh father, may I touch the hem of your Levi's? <laughs> now it's not going to happen, but we know that you don't come away and go, oh, she was so above herself. What, she only let me touch the hem of her pants? If the queen stops to talk to you, you think higher of the queen. Not lower. Jesus Christ condescended, we thought higher of him. Condescension with love. Coming down from a high position lovingly, and that's how you should be designing it, full, your, your lordship full of love, um, is you know, sort of the, um, the catch-all. But if you don't do it, they'll be cast adrift to their own importance, trying to design their own selves and a worship of their own selves. They don't learn. That's what I've seen in every kid that has wandered away from the faith when their parents were Christians. They are so incredibly conceited. They don't know squat. They couldn't stand in any argument of falsification about their ideas, and yet they think they're all that. They think, well, I just I really didn't think there was that much in Christianity. You go, your parents were Christians, and I know them, and they really were Christians. What's your problem? They think too much of themselves. And do you, do you destroy your child by not having them learn they are becoming humane? They are becoming mature. They are moving from a place of love and inadequacy to a place of love and adequacy. Um, have the uh, last bit here on the... Uh, um, everyone insists on equality when viewing their betters but are strangely vague or quiet when you suggest they joyfully join their lessons. And every, nobody, everybody can't stand the fact that someone might be above them. Don't mind, you know, you know he's not as, she's not as good looking as you. Well, you know, that's kind of sad. She has a nice personality. Now, you're not as good looking as her. Well, it's, she's makeup. She wears too much makeup. I have this last section on the back to where we realized it, reminding people that world philosophies like the Enlightenment that made the nation that you are loyal to and I am loyal to and I joined the military to defend this nation um, are based on sinful ideas. And you cannot say it was drugs and the Beatles that made this bad situation. It was Thomas Jefferson. There's a straight line between Thomas Jefferson and Woodstock, okay? And you can't expect that if you venerate the goddess independence on every other front, that the kids are not going to supplicate the goddess at some point. It's not, well, we don't understand up and down. And uh, 
It's something you can learn. It's meditate on it in regard to God. Okay? Not in regard to good kings or good parents. But strip all that, you know, the possibility of sin away. Just say, what is God like? Who is my God? How, how, do I, how am I supposed to deal with that? His service to us, his death for us, and yet his expectation of obedience. Be ye holy as I am holy. Do what I say, for heaven's sake. And we serve him. When you realize the Lord, you'll start to realize the little L lords. Husbands, you as a parent, your own parents, your own boss, all these little L lords, you'll start developing a philosophy. How do I fit? How do I as a Christian live in submission to my overlords? We spend a lot of time raising the esteem of children, and we should be really, in a large part, raising their esteem of you, that you are supposed to be someone uh, major in their life. As you gain a better sense of being better, protect your heart with the gain of love and service as well. Be a noble parent. You're not being placed up above these kids so that you can have your way just because you're power mad. You're doing something for them. You're serving, you're creating a, a, a political realm for them to grow up wisely. And this is not salvation. This is just preparing the way of the Lord. This is just, you, they see you humble yourself before God. They see you humble yourself before the Word. They understand that you are someone in a chain of command down from the Lord. And they begin to see that those things come down from above. Well, that is the end of this night, a little earlier than... Does anybody have any noise or questions that you want to have remembered forever on the recording? <laughs> or you can ask us questions over cookies. That would, that would, be, would that be better? Who was your Ten. most difficult child? <laughs> Our most difficult child. Michael? The one girl. No, she wasn't the most difficult. You each were had your own special yeah. skills. And in, in, uh, you cost us a lot of money, Graham. Um, I'm costing myself a lot of money now. Yeah, serves, serves you right. You had something to... Um, I thought of when you were talking about the word better, uh, it shows up in Philippians 2. It says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. Consider others, others better, better than, than yourself. yourself. And thinking of what that means, and mm -hmm. but then remembering he goes right on to talk about how Jesus knew he was equal with God, and yet he, he humbled himself. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, it's it's yeah. We're supposed to have exactly that. It's a it's a condescension thing of the greatest taking on all the love and all the service, uh, and that's a consideration. As if in the world, the only people that be served that way is a better. You know, you can you uh, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, we're, we're looking for opportunities to to use this up and down in good ways. Um, in some ways, a kid feels strangely honored 
that an adult that obviously is so much better than them is spending time with them, even if it's a little sarcastic. They love the attention. They love, God, I really feel good about that. That was a time well spent being insulted by Evan Wilson. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, but all of these things are worth the, um, uh, worth taking this idea that Lewis says permeates the ancient world and everything written and start to look at passages like that and say, okay, all right, what do I, how does, how does this fit that? How does it, uh, how do I treat others as better than myself? Um, especially when they're not your betters. It, it talks about that in Corinthians, about the body and us being members of it. And that's what Lewis is arguing with his membership essay, is memberships are not equal relationships. You have parts of a body that are not equal. And in that illustration in Corinthians, it's you have less noble parts, which conversely are treated with greater honor. Greater modesty, because they're inferior. It says they're inferior parts, but we give them greater honor. So there's a, there's a way of having an inequity that is based on service and love that is a real... It holds a body together, holds your family together, because your family is, Lewis argues that heavily in the essay, if you get a chance to read it, talks about how even the family dog is a member of the body that is, that is your family. Your, your uncle that lives in Nepal, yeah, he's a member of the body. Uh, there's, there are people that belong to your body of family, people who belong to your body of church. It's a way of relating that is different than clubs, where you all hold the same notion of the same rank, um, it, or you're all equal voters. It's not that situation. So uh, I recommend that as an essay. Kim? So um, when your kids were growing up, did you verbalize the inequality of things to them? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. um, so can you give some examples of <clears throat> conversations or things that you have? Oh, memory banks. Um, <laughs> well, one. One thing that comes up usually quite early is if you're using corporal punishment on a child, that means you're striking them in some way, either on the hand or on the rear end or something. And at some point, the child will turn to you, turn on you and try to hit you. And that's where they need to have it communicated straight up with them no, you don't hit me. I'm the mother, and you're the child. And that's when it's a serious, you know, oh, no, you don't. You know, it's, it's suddenly the, the, their world changes. Um, and, um, and I recommend that it never be angry. Ne it never have any kind of um, Odin, Harry Thunderer sort of moment. Um, but it just gets grim and dark for them. Um, do you realize what you've done? And they start to. Um, but uh, comically or enjoyably, it was a, a lot of it constantly. Uh, the boys used to suffer under being called the idiots. That was that suffering. That, okay, that was, you know, the, there were the kids and the idiots. Uh, Davis and Michael were the kids, Graham and Gunn were the idiots. And they'd come up and introduce themselves to friends, hey, we're the idiots. And they, um, they, they, they took a special, you know, um, uh, uh, because what it did was said, it's just having the kid believe 
what the parent knows. The whole task, the reason I'm here and wiping their nose, is they're an idiot. They can't do it. And it's, isn't it great to have them know that from a loving source that can be joking with them? You guys, you guys do know that you guys are completely inadequate. <laughs> and we used to, uh, Graham and uh, Gunn and I used to go in the library after dinner and they'd be in their jammies and I'd lie on the floor and uh, they would run around my, the perimeter of my body. <laughs> looking frightened every moment. When is it going to come out and get me? No. <laughs> and it was part of, you know, part of the wrestling, and it was the, the, suddenly they'd be held at arm's length. They just, you can wave them around at that age. And they, it's not just the affection. We'll cover that when we're talking about affection. But you're communicating, I have complete control of you. I am like the Kraken. I mean, I can, I can, I can destroy you at will, and I, I always spoke that way. I can destroy you at will, and and now I, I, I tell my my dad was here Thursday night for dinner, and we were talking about this, what we were going to do, and he said, you know, I used to tell people, I used to, and they say, Jim, what do you what do you do with your kids um, every evening? He said, I. Uh, I like to rock them to sleep until I run out of rocks. <laughs> and people, <laughs> and uh, we loved that treatment. Not the rocks. I mean, he didn't actually throw rocks at us. Um, but uh, the um, and my sister, my dad, dad called my sister double ugly. That was his. <laughs> That was his nickname for Heather. And you don't find a better adjusted woman than my sister. Because she knew that, one, it was loving. And this comes to issues of sarcasm and, and, and things that we cover in affection. But, but the idea is it's also conveying not just um, there's a dominance. There is a, a positional claim that because it's humorous and because it's loving, and if, the, they, if, you're, if you're giving them every inch of affection they could possibly, because they're bottomless pits of affection, you give them every inch of affection you could, you, you, it would be good for them to have, they know that your superiority is part of this picture that they're enjoying. And they, it, and they really do enjoy it. Um, it's, I, I think it's, it's, you know, there are, um, oh, there was one girl, not my children, there's always some prissy piece of work out there who, when I say something at church about something, how I despise the youth, and I regularly, don't I regularly tell you? I never look at you, Patrick. But uh, um, it's part of the ritual, part of the liturgy. And uh, I had one girl come up to me just offended. Offended because young people had a lot to offer at church. And they're like, oh, you're not with the joke, what's the... You know, what's the deal here? What's the, and there are some people who, because they've become self-esteem whores, they, um, um, I said rat bastard last night twice. Self-esteem whores. And um, they, 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 it's too late. You know, they're not going to get the joke. Okay, do you want the cookies? <laughs> let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful.
thank you for the joy it is uh, to grow up in you, and we'd ask that, like your son, we would look to our Lord as a guide to being lords in our children's lives, that there be guidance and service, nobility, kindness, love. But Lord, uh, we'd ask that we would teach them humility, teach them where they are and where they're going. In your son's name, amen. Amen. amen.